0: International Media Ministries presents dramatic scriptwriting with award-winning screenwriter and director, Bart Gavagan. Lesson one. Screenwriting is an art form. Actually, to do with that people don't understand that screenwriting, writing, theatre writing, it's an art form. It doesn't mean to say you can't retire and and do your great novel. Of course you can. Uh, But you have to understand that when you do that, you're entering into a dialogue, you're engaging with an art form. This art form, when you actually come to the visual media, is very simple. The rules can be, I hope, can be understood by a three-year-old. What makes it very complex is that probably there's about anything between three and 5,000 rules. Okay, Now, you don't have to learn all those. And probably if you left here knowing the 10 major rules to do with the visual media, you would know more than 99.9% of all the professional screenwriters in the world. Because the ignorance of craft, even among professionals in this industry, is just colossal. And the ignorance among Christians' professionals is just mind-numbing. Okay? (laughs) So, if you can grasp these basic foundational rules, even the ten foundational ones, okay, you will know... An immense amount about how to fulfil your calling. But if you're serious about your calling, you will start to explore this complex area of the number of rules and how they interrelate, and um, and how they have to be approached really in a right order. And in business, you'll often hear uh, the term more and more. You'll hear a phrase in America: "Eating the elephant." Okay, have, have you heard this phrase in business? In, in American business, it's, it, how do you eat the elephant is the great question in American business. Bite by bite, bite, by bite is the answer. So, this is, so little elephant burgers is how you eat the elephant. And in a sense, how you approach the craft of screenwriting is bite by bite, little elephant burgers. You have to just uh, understand what are the big uh, questions and what are the little questions. And try and prioritize try and get them in good order and as I say if you can prioritize the ten major questions by the end of this week I will have achieved what I came here to do if you can really do that now a word of warning about this okay Um, people say to me but I've been to a structure writing course I've been to a craft writing course why should I go to another And I say to them, "How many do you think I've been to?" Because what this is about is this journey here, okay, which is the longest journey in the world. Okay, this is the longest journey in the world. And when you write, if the craft is here, it's useless to you. It's no good. You have to sort of go to the manual. It's like running a a computer. And if you have to look every time you're going to type out a sentence, you have to look up the computer manual and say, "I see." I hold this key down. That's no good to you craft is only good to you when it comes instinctive when you actually know these rules instinctively but certainly craft will enable you to be able to see what's right and what's wrong with any script whether it's three minutes long or whether it's an hour and a half long it's not to do with size this to do with the nature of story but and this is the problem knowing craft in your head will not bring you to that point There is no way you can read a script if craft is just in your head. It has to be here. It has to be right in your being. You have to start taking it very seriously. You actually have to start taking very seriously the fact that God's put his finger on you and said, I am calling you, I am anointing you. You have to start believing that you have the gifts, the heart, the desire in you to do these things. Oh, by the way, if... You are pursuing writing, directing, making films because you think that's a good thing or because you think that's a holy thing or because you think that's an important thing in the church. You have no calling in the media. None. Go away. Do something you're called to. Your calling is what sets you on fire, okay? Your calling is what... is is a passion in you. Your calling is what God put in you and you can't do anything else. Okay? There is a place for you in the media if you don't burn in that way. It may be to raise money. It may be to facilitate others. It may be to put yourself in the breach between those who have that calling and the church which doesn't understand the calling by and large, okay? But you don't have that calling unless it's your meat and drink unless it sets you on fire. You do not have that calling, okay? And you certainly will never become more than mediocre. So what you aspire to is what you get. So if you don't burn, if if this is not a passion for you, this is not your calling. Because you will just be in the long line of people who have perpetuated mediocrity in the visual media in Christian circles. Is that your calling? And I have no judgment of what has happened in Christian circles up to this point. People lived out what they perceived to be the calling with the grace God had given them, with the gifts God had given them, with the craft God had given them. There was no reason people could be better. But as soon as that something better is available to them, then you can say, let's do it. Let's do something better. Let's aspire differently. So it's an art form. And the essence of this art form is that you make the interior exterior. That's the essence of uh, all visual media. You make the interior exterior. And we'll come to that as we go through the week. Okay, here are the, the, here's the great trinity. Okay. Craft, inspiration, perspiration. Okay, this is the... Uh, the great trinity you have to to look at. Um, It's a debate, there's a debate on craft. Uh, My old film school still won't teach craft in the way I'm going to teach you this week. They say it (coughs) stifles the imagination. So there's a debate. And uh, the debate really circles around this question here, form versus formula. Every art form has a form. Every art discipline has a form music has a form does it not would you not teach your child scales lest it quench their inspiration and they don't become Mozart is is that the deal would you not have someone go learn the basics of architecture lest it quench their spirit so why wouldn't you teach them the basic of story structure of writing of screenwriting I don't get it (coughs) so what I do understand okay is that what people are worried about? Is that form in screenwriting has often been reduced to formula? And there's a great investment in doing that. So, Hollywood, in particular, for example, desperately wants to be able to reduce the form to the formula. And how they best do that, for example, is by. Um, Having Superman 2, 3, 4, it's, a, it's, a, it's reducing the form to the formula, okay? They love it because it can actually, it's predictable box office, okay? If you can reduce form to formula, well, you've hit the jackpot, you've laid the goo, you know, you've got the golden egg sort of thing. Uh, and really, what that comes down to is people not being able to distinguish between use and abuse of the form, the use and abuse of craft. So this debate, which is a very serious debate, uh, is totally founded on a wrong conception between use and abuse, between form and formula. And the charge against craft uh, that people make, uh, particularly in the visual arts, is very serious. And the charge goes something like this. Okay. You end up with people who are clever technicians, Okay? You end up with plots, or you end up stories that are plot-driven. You end up with shallow characters. You end up with conflicts that are black and white, with climaxes that are predictable, with spectacle rather than imagination or story. Okay? These are very serious charges, and in a lot of cases they're true. So there's a substance to these charges. Um, if you look at most genre pieces that are made for cinema, uh, a lot of these charges are true about them. You can predict how the story will develop. You can predict the characters. Okay? They are what we call clichéd because they actually understand genre, they understand form enough to actually have squeezed the life out of them. Now, the truth about... Craft is that no art cannot be reduced to a formula and if you have a choice between life and form which are you going to choose they needn't be in opposition to each other but you always will insist on life doing this particular series for the BBC I have an interesting dilemma with them. I was approached by the religious department of the BBC, and they said, would you change our audience? We have an audience that is quite a high core audience, but it doesn't grow. In fact, it's getting older, so it's dying. So would you do a series of specials for us that would change the audience, that would uh, both grow our audience keep our old audience uh, do this miracle where you you know keep them both, make it grow um, but create a new vision a new possibility so I said okay because I, obviously that's part of my calling too is I have a heart for that and the results have been great so we now have uh, each of the specials I've done has taken a third of the available audience at primetime television okay so um, everyone is thrilled with that. And they've also presented the gospel absolutely directly, but incarnately through the lives of people. So it's, and it's, the gospel is totally unacceptable when it's not made flesh. So the word not made flesh is a, a monstrosity. It disgusts the world, Okay, quite rightly, especially in the visual media. So, uh, and and Christians do not not realize this, okay? Uh, The only time it has power in the visual media is when the Word is made flesh, the incarnation. And when you achieve that, when you truly achieve that, through craft, through inspiration, through perspiration, the world says, great, I like this. I need to know about this. This is life for me. It doesn't sit there saying, this is religious. It says, this is spiritual. This feeds me. So people have been thrilled about this and a bit amazed about this because it's probably the first time for a long time that the gospel has been presented so directly on television and yet people seem to be fine with it. Now the great thing we're going to see during this week is of course you can break the rules or break uh, of craft, okay? And you must. The thing is you must do so consciously. You must know you're breaking a rule, otherwise it'll be a disaster. If you didn't know there was a rule in the first place, to break it is usually disastrous because that rule comes from 5,000 years of a conscious <laughs> storytelling. Okay, and let's... Um, these rules that we're going to be looking at this week, where do they come from? Um... Well, they've existed since prehistory, and you'll certainly, we'll look at, say, um, a, a particular story in the Bible about David and Absalom. We'll look at that maybe later this morning or later today, where whoever wrote that story understood the rules. There is no way, as you'll see, that that story could have been written by someone who did not, instinctively at least, understand the rules of storytelling. It's probably the best told story in the Old Testament, Okay. Um, Most people think of the rules in terms of the Greeks, Aristotle. Uh, Aristotle, in a sense, focused. He took the rules of story structure, of writing for theater, of drama, and he clarified them. But the most important thing that Aristotle said is don't think of these as rules. Think of them as helps. As principles, and if they help you, use them. And if they don't help you, don't use them. So they weren't rules that were rigid. They were rules that were flexible. They were helps. There were things you could use or not. Okay. And then, as happened a lot in history, when we came to the Middle Ages, the Middle Ages loved one thing. Okay, it loved to codify things. It loved to make things into rules, rigid. You know. So again, I mean, if any of you. No church history, like Thomas Aquinas, say the great theologian, one thing Aquinas said was to his followers was, don't make all this rules, you know, when I die, for goodness sake, don't make this rigid. And what was the first thing they did? Thomistic <laughs> philosophy, Thomistic theology, you know, um, they made the rules. Now when that came to Hollywood, Hollywood just loved this, as I said, they just loved the idea there would be rules. And so what you actually have is is that this craft is often taught as a series of rules. What I'm trying to say to you is I will call them rules, but think of them the way Aristotle said, as helps, as principles, which you use if you need to, which you use if they give you the life that you want. If they don't give you that, go back and look at the rules and say, you know, how do I get around this? What do I do here? What am I doing right or wrong? Okay, and remember when I say screenwriting, I'm always saying visual media. If you're writing for anything visual, it doesn't have to be film, so screenwriting. What, uh, what is the heart of all story, okay, as, a, as an art form? Okay? It's very interesting, this. The, the heart of it is logic. Logic, The rule is, if you can think, you can write. If you can think, you can write. So the core of this art form is architecture. This is very important. It's not visual imagination. Though if you have visual imagination, good for you. That's wonderful. But it is not the prime resource, the prime goal. The prime goal is architecture, logic. Can you think? Can you think clearly? Can you? This is a famous quote uh, from Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman, where he says, screenplays are structure, screenplays are structure. Uh, A quote less known by a famous uh, film director whose work you should have a look at uh, is a man called Billy Wilder who made many, many famous films. Um, And Billy Wilder said, for every 500 writers who can write great dialogue, there is only one great structuralist. And as I've often said, I think he was exaggerating. (coughs) I think for about every 50,000 writers who can write great dialogue, there is one great structuralist. And that is why when they made the film Sister Act, and they had six script doctors working on the film, how much do you think they paid the script doctors per week? Anyone want to hazard a guess how much you'd pay a script doctor in Hollywood per week? $5,000, 5000 It's a good guess. Anyone else? I'll tell you, you'll never get it, $86,000 a week for each one so that when the film was made and it came in over budget, no it came in more or less on budget, they said we were on budget except for the script doctors because they're costing us half a million dollars a week. And was that a good investment? Yeah, that was the best thing they did on that film. That was the thing that saved the film's life, that made it work, was they were prepared to pay $86,000 a week for the the best script doctors they could find. Okay. Because this art form, writing, is about architecture. It's about structure. In Hollywood... uh, If you're not a great structuralist and you're a script doctor, they have a name for you. They say you're a body and fender writer. That means, you know how people repair cars and bumpers and fenders and uh, do body work and so on? And what Hollywood is saying by this statement is, if you're a body and fender writer, we'll pay you a fortune. In other words, like you come in to maybe just put gags into a film, Uh, funny lines, okay? Maybe to just do little continuities, little joint linking scenes. Each person has specialities in Hollywood. But you're not the bee's knees, you're not the big deal. You're just a body and fender writer. The big deal are the great structuralists. If you're a great structuralist, they will beat a path to your door. Uh, They will offer you unbelievable things. If you're a great structuralist, okay? Okay because you're the one who's going to make it work. Okay, so what's craft going to do for you? What's what I'm teaching this week going to do for you? First thing, it's going to maximize your talent. Um, Again, you know, like, gifts have nothing to do with you. You better be humble about them. Being humble about them means just owning them, okay? So, I would match my imagination against anyone's, okay? And the reason for that is very simple. I had a very unhappy childhood. You know? It's no big deal. When you have a very unhappy childhood, you have a very developed imagination. Okay? But, what all the things I learned, including film school, at this wonderful film school, what they did not teach me was how to maximize that talent. The only thing that maximizes that talent for you is craft. So craft will maximize your talent. And how it does that, and here's the, so write this down, uh, craft gives you the questions to ask. Now without these questions you'll never be a great writer, but it won't make you a great writer. What it does, what it, and what it'll do, is it'll stimulate your subconscious. In other words, um, if you say to me, uh... write an article for me on Belgium. Do you think that stimulates my subconscious? Do you? you? It's an honest question. Do you think that stimulates my subconscious? Not particularly is my answer. If you say to me, uh, write an article on IMM and make it 100 words long and sum up, The essence of what they do. Do you think that stimulates my subconscious? Do you understand what I'm getting at? The more specific the question that confronts you, the more specific, the more concrete, the more down-to-earth, the more your subconscious actually starts to get stimulated. So as you take the questions Kraft puts in front of you, as you start to apply it to your work in the order you should and so on, you suddenly find that writing becomes different. It's not a big deal anymore. The big deal is perspiration and inspiration, okay? The focus becomes quite different. Um, The temptation to despair. In other words, it, it, it will reduce your temptation to despair. Everyone who writes, everyone who creates, always hits a moment of despair. If you're a screenwriter, it's usually after the first draft. You read this and you think, this is rubbish. Why did I ever think this was good? And and what's happened there, what's happening uh, technically is that by that time you've got used to all the wonderful surprises you've had as you've written, been writing, you think, that's great. And now you've been living it for a hundred days and you think, you've forgotten how great it was. You don't even know anymore whether it's good or bad. And so there comes a point of despair. Um, and I remember one phone conversation with a woman who's a, a wonderful writer, actually. Uh, and she was coming to a workshop I was given somewhere, and she she said, "I'm just about to tear it up, but I'm just about to burn it. You know, it's rubbish. It's you know, just this is a normal experience. And it's like dealing with someone who's about to commit suicide on the phone. You know, you're saying now, now, just." Just take it out the bin, and you know, go to the desk and put it in the drawer and lock the drawer. That's right. That's very good. Have you locked the drawer? Yes, good. (laughs) And now leave the room. Because of this despair that hits people, it's it's always always them. And um, so craft will actually start to erode that place in you. You'll start to have an objective understanding of what's good and bad. What craft will do is 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 Without craft, what what happens, you know, is is people love to go to bad films. They love to go to bad theatre when you're a creator. Be honest now. I used to. Uh, I love going to great theatre. But when I went to bad theatre or bad films, I think, I can do that, I can do that, I can do better than that. Goodness, look at all these problems here. (laughs) And uh, it's a way of dealing with our despair, is it not? where we actually reduce. It's what we do with people in life, if we're not careful. We reduce them to a size where we can control them, where we can feel superior to them. And so we do with art. Uh, And what this does is it doesn't do that anymore because you no longer fear greatness. You go to a great film, great play, and you see it naked. It's like it's stripped of all its clothes, and what craft enables you is to see all the nuts and bolts. And all I see when I see a great film is the perspiration that went into given moments, or the laziness where they didn't work hard enough to get a solution that really worked. They gave up when they had made maybe about the fourth day, I would think, they gave up. And so the thing is never great, it's just so-so, even though it's called a great film. And so what craft will enable you to do is, is not to need to go to see bad films anymore. <laughs> you can go to see great films and see them naked. And suddenly your focus no longer becomes, how did they do that? It actually becomes, okay, I understand. I understand the perspiration took. I understand the question they faced there. I understand. You have a new way of looking, okay, which will change your life. It'll radically reduce your writing time.